Welcome to Coffee and Tea with SNL. Everything you love about your favorite coffee shop, all wrapped up in a podcast. I'm Lisa, and I'm passionate about tea, travel, good food, and great conversations, and anything that makes me grow. I'm Sabine, and I create spaces that people enjoy. I'm also a wife, mother of two, a coffee lover, and enjoy a great scented candle. We're two great friends committed to living our best lives and seeing others live theirs. Welcome to Coffee and Tea. Welcome to season two of our podcast. Yay! We made it. I remember when this was just a little idea in our heads, and here we are. We've wrapped up a season, and we are embarking on a new one. Kudos to us. Yes, kudos to us. We've come a long way. And kudos Um, to all of you guys for listening and being on this journey with us. Thank you so much. We we appreciate every single one of you. Um, I can't believe we've already recorded about 20 episodes. Um, We've met so many people. We've traveled. We've you know, we've had our share of drinks. So, so excited. I'm so excited of what's to come too. Indeed. um, Well, with that said, in today's episode, we are chatting with Amanda E. White, um, who's the owner of Therapy for Women. Amanda started her business after working at mental health centers and being frustrated with the lack of modern approaches to therapy. She has this refreshing approach to mental health. And um, I know that at her practice, she really believes that when we are treated as whole people, that's when we heal, not when we're treated as a diagnosis. And she really believes in empowering women through therapy, health, and wellness so they can move beyond limiting beliefs and really fulfill their wildest dreams. So she is the perfect person to have on this episode. Yes, she couldn't have come at a better time, right? Um, So I'm really excited to hear what she has to say. So with that said, let's jump into our conversation. So ladies, I am so excited about this conversation just because it is kind of the ultimate girl time, coffee time while talking about so many awesome, important things. Our guest, whom you will hear tons from, Amanda White, who is a therapist extraordinaire. She will explain and you know, we'll, we'll go into it over the next, over this conversation. But before we get started, ladies, what are the things you're, what's in your cup? Mm. Your respective cups. So I normally drink the same coffee every day, but I got this interesting, um, Christmas present with like all these different beans. Yes. So I have one from Brazil today, which is very interesting. Although I have to tell you, I I like, like my routine, like I'm finishing it cause it's a gift, but I would just rather do my normal same coffee rather than change. What's your normal same coffee? I love La Cologne coffee. I think Cologne coffee is the best coffee and not just cause you know, we're Philadelphians. I right. <laughs> coffee. <laughs> totally agree. Do not so want I'm to- kind of just like we're trying to like use it so that I can get back to my regular coffee. Cologne for the win, but yes. Yay for trying something new. And I do love those little packets. I think I got one of chocolate because I'm not mm-hmm. coffee drinker. I love coffee, but coffee yeah. loves me so much. So I have one with like samplings of chocolates from different countries. So that's that's the, the passport I'm doing. It's not a coffee one, but a passport. But so- I feel like I have the memories of our time in La Colombe when you said La Colombe coffee. Because that's initially where we kind of came up with the idea of coffee and tea is our time at... La Colombe, the coffee shops. Very true. (laughs) Right now, we Uh, can't go to coffee shops, so I'm a little sad about that. But um, 
But yes, yeah, so uh, hmm? right. Um, <laughs> I have my, I guess, routine um, drink. I have a breakfast blend from Trader Joe's, um, and that is usually my go-to. But um, but I love it. It's it's mellow. It's smooth. Um, and I put some half and half because I'm a cream girl. So that's love what's in my cup. Sounds good. So I'm doing one of the teas I got the last time I was in London. It's a cocoa chai green tea. Ooh. Warming chai spices, given a modern twist with roasted cocoa shells and light green tea. Hmm. So that's what I'm doing today. <laughs> Just extra. <laughs> I wanted extra in our last episode, so I had to make up for it this time. So you know, <laughs> but um, uh, so Amanda, thank you so so much for joining us. Um, just for some background, so Amanda and I actually go way back from you know this moment. Yeah, and a lot of like professional and personal development work together, and have kind of coached other people and helped yeah. facilitate other groups, and then. And I always knew you were a therapist and a yoga teacher, even though I'm spoiling things, I need to let you introduce yourself. Um, but imagine my surprise, Sabine, I was on Instagram, minding my own business, well, technically minding other people's business. Um, and I see Amanda and I'm like, I'm sorry, I know her. She has like a scajillion followers. She's like Instagram famous. This is my friend. When did this happen? So I think I sent you stuff that day, like, oh my gosh, I know her. I love her. We have to get her on the show. And then I kind of stopped her to get her on the show. But Amanda, before we go into all that, t- tell our um, listeners, who are you? What do you do? Yeah. Um, so yeah, so I'm a therapist. Like you said, I also am a business owner, which is a title I'm like growing into because I feel like when you start your business, a lot of times, especially as a female, like I didn't feel like I owned a business. I was just like, this is just something I'm doing. Um, so I have a private practice of therapists in Philadelphia and actually what's been really cool is throughout the pandemic with online therapy becoming so much more in demand, we've also grown and shifted into, we have, um, therapists in a bunch of States across the country as well, which is really cool. Um, and I am also in the process of writing a book, which is very exciting, which will be out next year. Um, so yeah, I think that's, I live in Philly. I think that's, and I have, yeah, I have an Instagram that I love being connected to. And I really believe in breaking down mental health stigma. I've struggled with mental health issues in the past. And that's kind of my whole thing is kind of modern approachable therapy and, um, you know, getting away from the idea that therapists have to be blank slates and can't bring their personality into what they do. And what's the name of your business? Therapy for women. It's an important thing for me to say. (laughs) (laughs) I love it. It's very to the point, you know, you know what it is, you know what you're walking into. So, um, yeah, that was very wise in the title. Yeah. No confusion there. So I love what you said about the, you know, bringing your own background into therapy. It's funny. I think it's amazing. It seems like there are a couple of different schools of thought where that's like, I've had two therapists in my life Mm -hmm. and definitely was a big sharer and shared a lot about how she could relate to the things I was going through, which for me was really helpful. Yeah. My other therapist kind of gave nothing away 
which, you know, that's also a different style. Is, right. But I found that for me, I think I get helped more when people can relate to me. And when, if I can look at you, Amanda, and say, oh, you used to struggle with this and you overcame right. that, that to me makes such a big difference. It makes me feel like I can overcome it versus when I'm talking to someone who can't relate to what I'm even going through. Is that like an old school versus new school thing? Like what, how do I guess, how did you decide where you fell? Yeah, it is an old school versus new school thing. I mean, if you think about the history of therapy, it's, it's crazy to think about because like therapy wasn't really a profession until like 1950, which is really, really not long ago. Um, so right. It was, it was descended out of doctors. And if you think about like just the historical reference of doctors and stuff like that and psychiatrists, it was very much like you don't, you don't show anything. You don't, you don't even in some places it was like, you can't even like wear a wedding ring. Cause no one should even know if you're married. Like you wow. shouldn't be a human. You should just be a mirror for the client. So that is more old school. So I'm 30. So I, I, and I've been going to therapy. I started going to therapy when I was like 15. So there were a lot more old school therapists when I started as a you know patient in therapy. And I had a lot of therapists that were like that. And I, really, really didn't relate to that. I think especially if you're a younger person seeking therapy, it's even harder to relate to that, you know, when there's a huge age difference too. And it wasn't until I graduated college that I found a therapist who actually on her website said like, I'm in recovery from an addiction. Like I've walked through this, you know, I struggled and I can help you personally and professionally that I really made a ton of progress in therapy. And Shame was something I struggled with so, so, so much. I struggled with an eating disorder and an addiction. And it was amazing to have my therapist be like, look, there's nothing you can say that will like gross me out or make me like judge you. Like I've, I've done a lot, you know, like I've done horrible things or I've done things I'm not proud of. So when I, and she was really like the inspiration for me kind of wanting to become a therapist. And, um, I was just, when I opened up my own private practice about three and a half years ago, um, I was like, that's what I want. I want to be able to, you know, be authentic and be myself. And really there, there aren't a lot of until recently, there aren't a lot of modern approaches. There are some therapists who are more modern, like the one that I found, but there weren't like practices that, um, had a similar all like ethos and approach of like, this is the way that we believe in doing therapy. And that was what I wanted to create. And that's, that's kind of what I'm doing. Yeah. So even on your website, it talks about that, that the reason yeah. you your own business basically is because you couldn't find anyone doing what you wanted to do. Can yeah. you to that? Like, what is that unique thing you bring to therapy that you were like, I just, I have to create this. Yeah. Well, one big thing was since I said I struggled with an eating disorder and an addiction, and I also had some trauma history, a lot of times therapists specialize in only one thing. So I, while I loved my therapist and she helped me a lot, I was also like bounced around to like, if I had trauma come up, I would have to go see someone else. Or if, you know, you need medication, you have to go see someone else. And there wasn't a lot of conversation about the overlap of all of these different struggles. So I, when I created and I started out just with, you know, I was the only therapist, it was like, I specialize in trauma, eating disorders and substance use and the overlap between all of those, because that's one of the biggest thing that there's so much overlap in those three, especially in women. 
Hmm. Um, so yeah, so I'm really passionate about that for one. And then I think number two, just, um, I mean, we embrace technology. We're on social media. I really believe like, I'm really, this is like nerdy, but like, I'm really into branding, which is very not normal for therapy. But to me, like, I love branding because it's like an elevated experience. You know, it's like coffee or tea. (laughs) It's like, it's intangible, but the experience of drinking that coffee or drinking that tea actually elevates the taste of it with the experience. So I want my clients to be able to feel an experience when they go on my website, even if they're not in therapy with us or when they go on our Instagram or the fact that we do emails, um, and, and give them tips. Um, so that branding and that modern approach also of, I'm not worried about like giving away too much good information because to me, that's like, that's how you break down mental health stigma. And that's how you really help people. I love that. So it's funny. Cause that was one of the things I was like, I have to ask you about that. Yeah. Um, because for me, I'm an interior designer and so yeah. very visual. And the moment I went onto your social media and well, one, the moment Lisa started talking about you and then I visited your Instagram and then your website. And there's a very casual feel mm-hmm. to your website from like your logo looks handwritten yeah. and then even pictures of your office, which I love. Uh, I love that you have pictures of your yes. office on yes. your website. I love that. Yeah. Um, it just feels very cozy, welcoming, very professional. Yeah. There's something that's inviting about that. And so I was going to ask you if that was intentional. So yes. Um, yes. I love how you connected everything. <laughs> but yes. But I appreciate that as a designer. That is like a high compliment because um <laughs> No one talks about how hard it is. Like, I mean, I'm not a designer. I I like to think I have a design eye because I love branding. But um, yeah, like it's really hard to create, you know, to work with different people and have one person do your logo and your website and then pick out furniture and a photographer and like make it all be cohesive. But to me, again, it's like, even if someone's not in therapy with us, I want them to walk away from the website with an experience of like, being known in some way. I mean, maybe they wouldn't be known if they're a man on our website, but (laughs) like, like just, yeah. And understanding that, like you said, I really appreciate that, that you're welcomed here and that, um, we're not going to judge you. Yeah, no, I, I, cause that's one thing I look for. And as a business owner, it is, it's very challenging. I mean, even though I'm an interior designer, even coming up with colors for my logo, cause I feel like colors have a lot of meaning. Yes, yes. Behind it. And so um, even, yeah, picking colors for your logo and then every info- bit of information that you put out there, yeah. it is, it's, it's difficult because the goal is to be cohesive, but that's not yeah. easy to do. So I feel like I got yeah, even down to like fonts. I mean, the amount of time uh, that I've spent <laughs> trying to get fonts to be cohesive across an email platform, social media, your website. Yes, it's a lot. It's, it's a lot. A lot. <laughs> Yeah. So I guess what I'm curious to find out is, did you have any outside help as far as, or did you kind of go into business knowing, okay, I I want my website to look like this. I want this type of um, feeling like when people come and visit my office, the website and so forth. 
Yeah. I mean, I think what's the biggest thing that's helped me is I literally built a business that I wish existed that I was like, if I could create, like, I wish this existed. So a lot of, and I was also my ideal client. Like when I started, cause I was like, I was 26. I was, you know, obviously I was in recovery from an eating disorder and addiction by then, but I still, you know, was struggling in some capacity. And we, I think we all can, you know, benefit from therapy. So I was just like, if I, I was my own ideal client. So that helped me design everything. A lot of it is just my taste. (laughs) The person who did my logo actually was like my wedding designer. She did like my wedding invitations. Oh, wow. Um, So it was just like a natural extension of, I was just, I love the work you did on that. That's my style. I love your handwriting. Can you make me a logo for my website? I mean, my first website was definitely, it was, you know, it was my first website. It was like on Weebly. It was free. Um, and obviously it looked very, very different, but, um, I've always had like lingo on my website. That was kind of like, I've always been very open about being in recovery. I've always been very open about, I didn't have a great experience in therapy as a, you know, as, um, growing up and that I'm like, want to make therapy different. So I, that like the, the idea and messaging has always been there, but it's definitely evolved in terms of, you know, branding and photos and logos and colors and, and all of that. Um, when we first started, it was just Amanda E. White therapy for women. And then as we grew, it was clear that dropping the, dropping my name was the, was the next move. Um, so on the note of like therapy for women, yeah. do you have uh, any thoughts on that? I mean, clearly male therapists see women, but Yes. Thoughts on the female therapist seeing females, male therapist seeing, you know, seeing a therapist that's more like you. What are your thoughts on that? Yeah. I mean, I think, I think not everyone needs that. I think I was someone who I could never see a male therapist. I, or I've seen one and I never connected with them. Um, I think it depends on your upbringing and what you feel comfortable with. Um, But I also just like always specialized in women. I was like young when I went into grad school. So when I first started my internships and stuff like that, they were just like, well, you're young and you're a woman. So you should be with women. So they just like put me with women the whole time. And I loved it. So I, I always knew I would pretty much only work with women or only specialize in women just because that was my, all of my, you know, that was all of my uh, experience pretty much. So I think it depends. I think, I think it depends what you're looking for in life. You know, I know that some people will, you know, I think if you have a hard relationship with your dad, it may be really therapeutic for you to have a male therapist. Right. Um, or if you really struggle with your mom, it may be hard to have a therapist who is like the same age as your mom. Um, so I think that all really matters. But since we specialize in young women specifically, I think that uh, is something really specific that therapist or that clients really like is that a lot of our therapists are younger slash more approachable slash modern. Do you, uh, do you cater to, I'm pretty sure when you first started your business, you kind of had a, I guess, an avatar or an idea of like what type of clients you would want to serve. So what type of clients do you have? And uh, what type of clients do you first? So it was kind serve? of like I was my ideal client. So it was kind of like someone who was in their 20s, typically 25. Like I say, I say we specialize in women. Um, when I started, it was really like 
it's, it's funny as I've gotten older, it's like my clients have kind of grown with me, which is very funny. So like now I have a lot more clients that are moms and like, that's been a new thing that we've been, you know, adding to the practice. But when I started, it was like, yes, it was a client that was like 20 to 25. I did a lot of work with college girls. I talked a lot about that transition. Um, yeah, typically a girl who like lived in Philly, which was why we were in Philly, who could like walk to the office, um, who, you know, struggled with maybe anxiety, depression, some overlap, didn't want a diagnosis. That's a really big thing we do is, um, we don't work with insurance companies directly so that clients have choice in, if they have a diagnosis, they have power over how many times they get to see us, what the, um, what the frequency is, um, which is very different because a lot of therapists are like, you have to see me once a week or you can't come. Where we're very much like some therapy is better than no therapy. Yep. So I would rather have a client come see me every other week or once a month, if that's what their budget allows, then, um, you know, not come at all. So that's another big difference that we, that we do. That's a huge difference as someone who has therapy. That's a huge difference. And even the diagnosis thing, I didn't realize that it was unique. So funny enough, the two therapists I have seen, neither of them ever gave me a diagnosis, like worked on different things and, you know, and anxiety and different decision-making and different things, but it was never like you have blah, 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 which now that I think about it, it does actually give people a lot of freedom because it's yeah. about labeling yourself that now puts these limits on you. And you're like, oh, I have anxiety versus I struggle with anxious thoughts. So, you know, whatever, like I think sometimes when we're in this box of I am this, or I have this, that stifles us. Absolutely. Absolutely. And I think one thing people really don't know is, I mean, a whole other conversation would be the problems with our, you know, healthcare system, but like the problems that is what's hard about insurance companies is you do have to have a diagnosis and insurance gets to decide how frequently you come, um, what you work on, lots of stuff with that, which is why we don't work with them directly. Gotcha. So just, I mean, we can't run away from the current times we're in. How has COVID impacted your business? I mean, you mentioned expanding across states, but has it just gone from like booming to over? Yes, Yes, we've expanded a ton. Um, I feel like this year is so such a hate. You know what I mean? I, it's like been 10 years and one year, you know, you know. It's so strange to think about where I was a year ago compared to now, because I feel like it also hasn't sit in, it hasn't hit me yet because we haven't all been together in person right? right. In, in so long. Like we haven't all been, to, I mean, we've like, we're lucky that we have an office that's not in a high rise. We're the only ones in it. So we have a lot of flexibility of rotating therapists and we are like softly, carefully having one therapist rotate in at a time. Okay. But we haven't all been together in so long um, that, yeah, I mean, when I, like, honestly, when I think about last year, um, I had six or seven therapists, six therapists, I think, and we've doubled since then. Um, So, yeah, so it's been, it's been, it's, I mean, I was obviously very afraid when the pandemic started and wasn't sure what was going to happen. 
but I am grateful that people are talking about mental health more. And I think that healthcare is so behind in terms of technology. Um, so I am really like teletherapy is really effective for almost, for most people. It's just right. effective. Um, people might not like it as much, but, um, so I'm really, I'm really, I'm really grateful that that's been expanded and it's more accessible. You know, not everyone can get to an office. I have a lot of moms who are like, it, like this works way better for me. Cause I don't have to like get childcare and do all of that. Um, so yeah, to answer your, to very long answer to your question. Yes, it has grown a lot this year because of the pandemic. Did you transition quickly? Like when you talk about technology and how you've had to transition to a lot of more virtual services, was that easy for you? Was that quick? Like, okay, this is what we're going to do. Well, what um, I was grateful about is we already offered video sessions. So we already like, that was a big thing that we were more cutting edge in. We were like, we offer teletherapy, we offer video counseling. Like, um, obviously it's not cutting edge anymore at all. But, um, so we, that was really easy for us because of that, thankfully. Um, so we were all set up and ready to go. It was just having, you know, it was just like working out the kinks of having clients who weren't comfortable with it or were unsure of it getting used to it. Very cool. Um, it's so funny because to your point, what was cutting edge a year ago is so not anymore. (laughs) Everything. I mean, even my dad, who's in his mid seventies is Mr. Zoom now. And you're just like, yes, world was that going to happen? Yeah. It's really interesting to just see how the world is going to change. And, you know, I'm hoping for a more balanced, hopefully in the future of some more, you know, definitely more in-person things, but also keeping some of the, the good parts of the technology. Right. Yes. Cause it's not all good, but speaking of technology, yeah. favorite, favorite things is how much, how well you navigate talking about serious, serious borderline, a heavy stuff, right? <laughs> Mental health is not a, it's not a joke, yep. but you handle that on reels on Instagram, yeah. like yeah. how do you balance this really important content on this really fun medium? That's a really great question. Um, I mean, I feel like my personal experience with it is very helpful because I know what like crosses the line and what doesn't. I mean, don't get me wrong. I definitely have had people reach out to me and tell me I'm super unprofessional and I shouldn't be doing this and blah, blah, blah. And they don't like it. And that just comes with the territory. And I also feel grateful that there is like a community of other therapists who are doing it. I'm not the only one. So there is a lot of support just from other colleagues and things like that. Um, But yeah, I mean, I think what, I think what for me, if you like, there's a difference between making fun of something and making fun of yourself. And that's what I kind of bring is I'm not poking fun at the topic. I'm like, I poke fun at myself. Mm. And I think that makes it lighter and makes people feel like I'm a real person because I obviously am. (laughs) Um, It's very important to me on social media to not just be someone who just creates like memes or content that they are, you know, that there's an understanding and a context that I am a person who's creating this and there's a reason. Um, 
so yeah, I think that, I think that's how I do it. <laughs> yeah. I like that distinction between making fun of others or a thing versus making fun of yourself. In fact, it doesn't even come across to me like you're making fun of yourself. To me, it feels like it's coming from a place of knowing or recognition. It's like you see that in yourself. And so you're putting that out there. So we get to see ourselves in what you're putting out there. Uh, It totally reminds me of one of your reels where you talked about how you wanted to be handling the election as a therapist versus how you were really handling (laughs) it. You know, you had this whole image of like, I wanted to light a candle and be meditating. But instead, what you were really doing was eating six snacks at the same time. Look, checking between channels, working on your laptop. And you talked about how there's like no perfect way to cope. You know, I think all of us saw that and we're like, yes, yes, I can totally relate to that. Speaking of being able to relate to stuff, you recommended this book on Instagram that I just got. I'm only, I'm only one chapter in and I'm obsessed with it. Yeah. Oh my gosh. Thank you for recommending this. This is a yes. library copy. <laughs> I know I need to buy my own because I'm like, uh, you're going to need this. in, It feels life changing already. The whole topic of self-compassion i know we could do a whole podcast on when did you get familiar with that concept has it changed your life why should we know about it all of the things it has massively changed my life and that book self-compassion by Kristen neff it put a lot of things into per- like it helped me understand a lot of things that i didn't have the words for until a few years ago i have struggled almost my whole life but it was way worse in my addiction with beating myself up. I was like really mean to myself. I was kind of one of those kids that was an extreme rule follower, an extreme people pleaser. I was the oldest child. It was always like, that's how I controlled things in my life. You know, I made people like me. I was a chameleon, all that. Um, And when I would, and I tried to be, I had a lot of perfectionism. I wanted to be perfect all the time. And I used to think that if I was mean enough to myself, I would change or I would fix something. Right. And I used to beat myself up so much. And it wasn't until I started doing shame work with my therapist after college that we started like talking about shame. And I started recognizing how much shame was actually keeping me really stuck. And not only was me beating myself up painful, but it also was really ineffective. So to me, it wasn't even about whether I deserve to be nice to myself. It was about this isn't working. It's making you like, it's making things worse. Right. So if you could, I just told myself, like, maybe I'll just try, I'll just like try to be compassionate to myself to see if that's more effective at getting out of this cycle. And obviously it didn't happen overnight, but it made such a big difference in slowly kind of untangling these patterns, really coming out of morality. I think there's so much shame tied in with morality and good and bad, and it causes us to shut down. And I love the idea of looking at things from like what is workable and what's not workable and taking the the judgment out of it, which is what self-compassion kind of teaches us. Because I need all of that in my life. (laughs) I'm curious at how that helps you like as a business owner, because Mm. I feel like all most of last year, I've gone through a lot of that with just, and I've even had to, you know, put down the phone and and give myself uh, breaks with social media, because it's so easy for me to kind of compare myself with other women you know, other designers, other, you know, business owners. And I'm like, I'm not at that level. And, 
you know, and then I think just being self-aware too of realizing and kind of stepping back and being like, actually, well, hold on, just because the other person's doing the same thing that I'm doing, you know, I'm my own person. I'm my, I, I bring something, you know, different to the table. My goals are different, you know? Um, but I think it's so easy for me to kind of compare myself to other people, other business owners and where they're at, especially like now, um, with social media, everybody's talking about their success. Like, yes. I hit this goal. I'm a girl boss. Yes. You know, <laughs> I crushed this goal. And you're like, I, I don't have any goals. Yeah. So, so I guess, yeah. Where does self-compassion, um, how did that look for you as a business owner? I love that question. I mean, I, I kind of loaded it all over the place. No, but. that's great. I mean, I want to also say number one, I want to dispel the myth that anyone who is successful or like, right, like I seem quote unquote successful on social media, Mm -hmm. but I still get very caught up in numbers. I still feel like I compare, I just compare myself to other people. You know what I mean? There is endless amounts of people to compare yourself to. So if anyone is listening and it's just like, well, as soon as I get this, I will like, I'll stop comparing myself. Like, no, that is a trap you will find someone else to compare yourself with. True. That's a good point. Just so anyone knows, I have a blue check on Instagram and I seem really like probably like everything's great, but I still like worry about numbers and get frustrated and compare myself too. Thanks for sharing that. You're welcome. I wish everyone would know that because I really believe I know enough people that are like quote unquote successful on social media that they all struggle too. Maybe they don't talk about it. But I just compare myself with other people that are like just on a different, you know, have more followers than other people. And again, it's, 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 it's an endless cycle, isn't it? Like, so exactly. Compare because it's always, I mean, how many billions of people right, are exactly. someone who's better, who has more, who's doing whatever, you know? So I think tr- trying to be the best will is like an endless pursuit oh, of yes. us being kind of our best selves and continuing to grow personally. Right. Thanks Absolutely. for saying that though, because it's so easy to to look at someone like yeah, you've yes. got it all sorted out. So it's good to know. Be- I was like upset about Instagram like a couple of days ago. I was like <laughs> upset with my husband ranting about it. No. <laughs> yeah, so let's keep it real. Thank you for that. You're welcome. <laughs> Freedom around that. Yes. Yeah, um, no, it's true. So yeah, so with self-compassion, I think that's a really great point. I mean, I think one thing that's really helpful with self-compassion that's helped me is I'm a lot less afraid to try things. Mm. Um, I am someone who will just kind of like throw things at the wall and we'll see what sticks. Oh, you know, I'm like more careful about things and I don't always tell everyone what I'm doing because you can't just be switching everything up all the time. But um, I do think because I don't put as much pressure on myself, I have no expectations anymore with my business of like being perfect. I know that I'm going to mess up. I know that as we grow, things will fall and I'll have to pick up other things. Um, But for me, it's about trying things and seeing what works. And I think that hopefully I'm creating a culture of kind of like ask for forgiveness, not permission. That's kind of one of our big things Um, because that's where creativity is. Like I love all of Brene Brown's work about vulnerability and you have to have courage to be vulnerable and it's risky. So um, 
I mean, I still don't feel like I know what I'm doing all the time, but I'm willing to try things and I don't take it as I failed or there's something wrong with me or I should quit or something. And I think that's where the self-compassion piece really comes in because like Kristen Neff says in the book, um, you know, you self-esteem is very different than self-compassion. Yes. Self-esteem is like, I'm better than someone. We have endless comparisons where self-compassion is just knowing that you're worthy for who you are and you don't have to do anything for that. Yeah. And I think being in touch with your values is really helpful with strengthening that too, because from my perspective, as long as I'm living in alignment with my values, even when I mess up, even when, cause I mess up on social media and people call me out on it and I have to repair and like take accountability or, you know, I mess up with, you know, my clients and I have to repair and take accountability, but the willingness and the courage to be able to do that for me is just like the biggest difference because then you can grow, then you can learn from it. Otherwise, if you're stuck in trying to be perfect and you can't have compassion for yourself, you're not going to be able to make mistakes and then grow. Yeah, I feel like I love all of that. <laughs> Just all of that. Um, I think that's so important because a lot of us are so, myself, I am, I because I, I tend to self-sabotage and yeah. I end up crippling myself. And then when you cripple yourself, you don't grow, you know? Yeah. So thank you. Thanks for that. Yeah. I think it's yeah. interesting that half of those things we do because we think they're going to help us grow. And you're like, that's the main thing it does is just stifle your growth when you want to be perfect or when you, you know, yeah. or you're comparing like those things just make us stuck instead of compassion, which almost feels like letting ourselves off the hook. Yes. The very thing we need to free us to move forward. Absolutely. And I'm a huge believer. I mean, one of the biggest things whenever I talk about self-compassion on social media is people always flood me comments being like, well, isn't that letting yourself off the hook? I wouldn't get anything done if I were nice to myself, blah, blah, blah. And to me, there is really missing a conversation in our culture about there can be compassion and accountability at the same time. And there are two things that are not the same and don't mean the same thing. And you can have compassion for yourself and be like, what I'm doing isn't working or what I'm doing doesn't align with my values or what I'm doing, like, you know, is negatively impacting my mental health or whatever. Um, And same with other people, right? Like you can have compassion for other people and be like, but your values don't align with mine and this doesn't work or I don't believe in what you're doing and I can't support the behavior that you're doing and I can't be in a relationship with you. It doesn't mean you need to like them, have them in your life, feel bad for them, anything. It just means that you don't have to like um, hate them necessarily. And you don't have to, you can be powerful in, you know, you can not let like, you cannot have a relationship with someone and also not like demonize them. Yes but have like boundaries. Exactly. Yes. Boundaries are the key to all of this. For sure. Oh, boundaries. How we love and need you, but struggle with you at different times as well. Another kind of therapy type question you talk about, even on your website, you know, recovering from trauma, abuse, and an eating disorder. And I think sometimes people, I guess, how do you interpret recover from? Because I think Mm. you hear 
like you can never recover from these things. You just yeah. manage them. You use recover, which I was, is very powerful. Yeah, yep. difference, I guess, between I will always have X and just manage it forever. Yep. What does recovery really look like? That's a really great question. I think, like you said, different people have different ideas of what it means. So I think it's different for everyone. Um, for me, and I'm really passionate about people get to define what recovery is for them. I'm very into different things work for different people. I can tell people the statistics and the research, like the statistics and research say it's much, much harder to moderate your drinking than to stop drinking if you've abused alcohol for a period of time in the past. Right. But if someone it like wants to try it and <clears throat> is really dead set on it and, you know, needs to experiment and wants to do harm reduction or whatever, I like support that too. Cause I just really believe in freedom and choice. So for me specifically, I mean, recovery for me looks like I don't drink or use drugs because of recovery for me is I do the opposite of what I did in my like struggles. So when I was drinking and using drugs, I don't do that anymore. Um, when I was in my eating disorder, I was dieting and purging and trying to like be as tiny as possible. And I spent tons of time counting calories and doing all that stuff. So I don't diet or trying to change my body or not like ever think that I'm going to, you know, cut out anything <laughs> because that's really triggering to me in my that's eating disorder. Yeah. So yeah, it's, to me, it's the opposite. Um, while while you can talk about managing it and stuff like that, I am of the belief that you can fully recover from things. It doesn't mean that I can go out and drink right. um, like a normal person, but my life is full and I am not always in a spot of wanting to drink or wanting to engage in my eating disorder. I do feel a sense of freedom from it. And I believe that that's possible. Um, and I'm like, and I, you know, believe that other people can do that. I love that. There's so much about that. I love the hope of it. Like you can recover or you have to kind of be under the weight of this forever. And also the fact that, that it is a, you, you, we get to participate in our recovery. So we get to say yeah. when we've recovered and what, or what that looks like. I mean, not that decide today I've recovered after one right. therapy, right. but you know what I mean? Like, so I love that. Just that it's, we get to play a part in that. Yeah. I just think everyone's totally different. You know, I, I say sometimes on social media for some calling yourself an alcoholic is extremely empowering. It feels like I am known. I am understood. I know how to interact with myself and the world and other people for some people calling themselves an alcoholic is really stigmatizing. And I am not them. I can't know what their experience is. And I really believe in trusting people and their lived experience yeah. and they get to choose and decide what is empowering versus not. And they also get to change their mind. So we've been talking a lot about therapy now. And yeah. so I'm curious because I, Lisa has, you know, she is a big fan of therapy and always encouraging me to yeah. see a therapist. I have never seen a therapist, but I have had um, life coaches in the past. And so at one point, I honestly thought they were the same thing. Yeah. <laughs> and I remember on multiple occasions, I would have sessions with my life coach and she would quickly remind me, I'm not a therapist. I'm a coach. Good, <laughs> you know? That's a good life coach right there. <laughs> we're, we're, we're focused. We're focusing on present and, you know, the future. 
And so in your opinion, what is the difference? Please educate me and maybe people that are similar to me. What is the difference between a therapist and a coach? When do you feel like one needs a therapist and Mm -hmm. one needs a coach? And can you have both at the same time? This is a really, really good question. Um, I think you definitely can have both at the same time, depending on the person. I think also what is interesting that not a lot of people talk about or know necessarily is therapists are trained to be able to do both. So therapists also have the resources and, you know, therapists can flip depending on what you need in the moment and what you're working on. Um, so to me, if you are seeing a good therapist who can do both, it would probably be more beneficial to just do that than have two. But essentially the difference between therapy and coaching is therapy is in a sense of about looking into your past and understanding yourself and understanding overarching patterns of behavior, why you do the things you do. You may explore, you know, um, family, like how you were raised and how that impacted you. And while people who've never been in therapy, I think can feel like, Oh, I don't want to go into like my childhood and all of that. And how does that help me? The metaphor I use to describe it is it's like you have all these puzzle pieces and you don't understand yet totally who you are. And a therapist will help you organize and sort through the puzzle pieces. So you can see what your life has been up to this point. You can see the picture of it. And then once you've seen it, then you have a clearer perspective of where you've been, how you got here, what your patterns are. So you can more powerfully choose something else or different in the future. So there, the context to me is what matters where coaches, if you've been to therapy and you already have that puzzle piece together and you're really aware of your patterns of behavior and you know your things and Um, then a coach is awesome and they will help you create goals, stick to goals, you know, follow through with things, help you identify your values, help you, you know, uh, implement strategies in your life, whatever you want. Um, But they're not going to fully be able to understand you in a way of maybe why when you're picking that goal and you're telling them you want that, maybe you actually, that's actually an unhealthy way for you to do it. Like, when I see clients, sometimes a really interesting thing that happens on Instagram now with Instagram therapists is clients will sometimes come to me, whether it's my content or someone else's, they'll be like, Oh my God, I just looked at this. And I feel like I need to, you know, like have a morning routine. Right. <laughs> That's one of mine. So I have to ask about that later. <laughs> <laughs> so let's say they come to me and say that a coach would be like, okay, great. Let's go through your morning routine. Let's come up with it. Let's do it. I'm going to set goals with you, blah, blah, blah. A therapist would be like, okay, let's understand why you want to create a morning routine, what you're trying to get from it. What are your normal patterns? Like, yes, a normal uh, morning routine objectively can be good, but I'm, I'm working with someone who already has like an extensive night routine and is like a state, like is like a mom and is juggling a million things. She actually probably needs a rest. She doesn't need a morning routine. Routine, right. So I would actually challenge her to be like, is that what you really need? Or do you need more rest? What is underneath this motivation to want the goal? And we can help you adjust the goals and tailor them with context in a different way. 
Okay. Okay. That, I feel like that analogy is perfect because it kind of goes back to, you know, um, being influenced from what we see, what we hear other people do, comparing ourselves to other people. And from what I, from what I hear, it's almost like a therapist helps you self analyze yourself, you know, exactly, Um, exactly. even help you determine what are your values, not what everybody else's values are, but like, what are your values, you know? Exactly. And that I think is like the marker of really great therapy is that with, you know, your therapist is walking on this journey kind of with you and helping you know yourself better and you discover yourself better so that you walk away from therapy, um, with more tools to understand yourself. Or sometimes like my clients will say like, you know, after they leave therapy, like the voice of me is like in their head, like help, you know what I mean? Like that's kind of the marker I feel like of, I mean, I still think about my, like things my therapist have said, you know? Um, and I think what's really cool is when you get that deep connection with a client too, where it's like sometimes right off the bat, when I know one of my clients is telling me they're going to do this or they're going to do that, I'm going to be like, girl, you do not need to do that. I know that you don't need to do that. And they're able to like laugh at themselves. And we're able to like, you know, one of the, my favorite questions I ask in therapy is like, what do you think I'm going to say about this? And they can kind of come up with what, you know, what the motivation is behind wanting to change that behavior or whatever. So it almost sounds like you don't need to be having a quote unquote issue or problem for you to need a therapist like that's what I believe I mean not everyone else does um and obviously like a life coach if it is a deeper issue you know especially if you're talking about eating disorders substance use disorders trauma for sure Uh um you know bipolar disorder um anything like that that is definitely out of the realm of what a life coach can support you with um But I think, yeah, I mean, I think a lot of it is willingness. I think it takes courage and is scary to, to unpack some of the stuff. And I think sometimes people want to go to therapy or coaching or whatever, just so they can like get on to the next thing. And it does in therapy, take a process of, you have to kind of slow down and unpack things before you can move forward, which, um, I think can feel really uncomfortable for a lot of people. But if you're willing to do that, um, I think it's super powerful. And anyone who's willing to, to do that can benefit a lot from therapy. And do you have like a time stamp or like, is there, like, is there a certain period of time? Like, or do you kind of go into, should one go into a session with like a goal of like, okay, I want to go to therapy for this duration, you know, is that even important? I think that's a good question. Yeah. Amanda, before you answer this, I have to tell you my story when I went to therapy. So I went to therapy. um, So I've always been a big believer in everyone needs therapy. Yes. Um, And for me personally, I'm like, my lifelines are therapy and Jesus. I'm like, those are the two things that make me do life. Um, But I remember going to therapy. And again, I've always, you know, I come from a family of performers. My sister's an actor. We all love, like, if I were braver, I would be on Broadway or, you know, on she will be. Somewhere. She do some reels. I know, right? Exactly. <laughs> so let me start with reels. But so I've always been a big believer that I was going to go to therapy when I was famous. But of course, that you know is taking a sweet time. So I was like, I'll just go to therapy first. Anyway, go to my therapist. I get in there. 
with my little list of goals and basically tell my therapist that I'm giving her three months to sort this out. <laughs> yes. You would appreciate that. Yeah, definitely came in, was like, so you got three months. Here's my list. Figure it out. So yeah, needless to say, ended up being in that in therapy with her for many, many years. But I just thought that was hilarious that I came in with I love that. I love that too, because this is what I can tell you that it also exemplifies the difference between a coach and a therapist is what a therapist would do is understand that you doing that tells a lot about you, right? I can understand who you are a lot by the fact that you have goals and you show up and you're like three months, this is it. And we would understand, we would unpack how you got to be that way, how that impacts your life now, how it impacts your future, how it, how it might work for you in some capacities, but it also may really limit you in other capacities Yep. where a life coach would just be like, all right, let's go the goals. Let's go right into it. Yeah. And you've also now used three times my favorite word, one of my ultimate favorite words, unpack. I'm yes. all, unpack that for me. Let's <laughs> unpack that all the time. All the time. See? Let's unpack that. I love it. So what you're saying is. <laughs> yeah. So, yeah. Um, so, so, so the actual question, like what, what do you yeah. think about timing? Yes. Such a good question. Thanks for the reminder. Um, yeah. I mean, I think that. I think the best question to go into therapy asking yourself is at the end of this, whatever, however long it takes me, Mm -hmm. what do I want? Like, how will I know my life is different? What will be different about it? How will I feel different? How will it look different? Um, And tapping into that. I think that's one of the most important things. I think that what's interesting about therapy is you can come in with a goal and then as we unpack things, we discover that there's actually some other things and we have to take a detour and we have to go do this and we have to go do that. So therapy does sometimes take longer than we anticipated because of those things. But in my opinion, a good therapist is always checking in with you about what you want to do. So while I may personally have recommendations and beliefs about what would be important, I always default to this is the client's time. This is their session. This is their work. And they get to choose whether they take a break, whether they stop for now, whatever. Um, I think it can be daunting to just imagine being in therapy for a long period of time. So I would say start with like, I mean, start with saying you'll go like five times and see how it goes, you know? Um, And then you can kind of see where that takes you. Um, because I think imagining being there forever is scary, but also I think another thing that people can do is say like, oh, if I'm not, you know, therapists can do weird things and like brag about how little they see people compared to other, you know, they can be like, oh, I can help you in this many sessions compared to someone else. And to me, if you're doing good work, it's not, it's really about like quality, not about quantity. Um, Yeah. So, so yeah. Um, And I think the only other thing I was going to say about that too, is really, really, to me, the most important thing is the relationship you have with your therapist. Yes. So I would be like, please be super picky about who you find, like ask them questions. You have a right to interview them before you. So yeah. So like interviewing them and making sure the connection is the most important because that is going to determine the effectiveness of therapy more than anything else. 
Yeah, I love that. I, I'm a big believer in that just with any professional that you pick. I'm, I'm, I'm very picky about um, who I do business with, who I purchase things from, who I give my business to, you know, even my clients too. Like it's, it's more about a relationship, you know? Um, so I think for a therapist, oh, that's so key. Yes. So key. Yeah. Yeah. Cause you want to be able to give them feedback too and say like, this isn't working or I feel uncomfortable about that. And so many people reach out to me and are like, my therapist is doing this and I don't like it. So I'm going to like, stop going to therapy and, or I'm afraid to tell them. And I'm like, tell them we want to know. Right. Yeah. That's important. So I think on, on the note of, you know, we need to interview our therapist. And I think that's a great point to make. Have you ever felt that there's been a client you've had a hard time connecting with and how do you deal with that? That's a really great question. I have had that happen. Um, I think it is a normal thing to happen. We all have different reasons for why we connect or don't connect with people. And in the therapy world, there's a term called counter transference, which essentially means how you feel about the client. Okay. Like it's like your stuff coming up in them. Like they remind you of someone in your past or whatever. Um, so thankfully therapists are trained to be able to like understand that emotion coming up. And if it's outside of their like, you know, window of being able to work with them or not. Um, but I also really, really believe that if you dig deep enough with almost anyone, you can find something to connect with them about, or yes. you can find something about them that is likable, that is interesting. Um, I really am a believer that people, I mean, it's hard in the world sometimes, but I, I try to believe that people are doing the best they can and it may mm. really not be okay and like really have horrific consequences, but in their mind, they're doing whatever they need to do. So I think that mindset can be helpful as a therapist of, I, I try to understand. And I mean, I haven't had clients obviously that are like doing horrific things. So I've been to do that. Um, but yeah, like just really understanding that, you know, their environment and the way they were raised and what they've been through has shaped them. The point you made about how therapists are trained to do both, you know, backward looking essentially and forward looking kind of what coaches do as well. And I think, I think, I don't think I've heard a therapist make that point. I've experienced both, but I think that's a really distinction to make that they can do that. Let's go to the past and figure out what's at the root piece, but also they can teach you as well. Um, and sometimes even during session, like during one session, which is helpful, right? We can, I mean, a lot of times you spend the bulk of the session looking back and maybe talking about how it connects to the, you know, present. present. And then at the end of the session, you're like, okay, what goals are we going to set for next week, which is future. Right. So you're going through all three. Right. Um, and ter- I guess if anyone's listening or even for myself, cause I'm often like, should I change careers? I feel like I want to, <laughs> who would you, what person would you say should be a therapist? Hmm. you know, is it ever too late to change? What kind of person do you think would be a good fit for to be a, you know, a therapist? I don't think it's ever too late. I mean, I'm just a believer that we get one life and, you know, doing what you're passionate about and doing what lights you up, no matter how old you are, no matter what you've done before is so awesome and important. Um, 
I mean, I think someone who, who is a good therapist is someone who is introspective, who is interested in why they are the way they are and why other people are the way they are in understanding like human patterns of behavior. Um, but the most important thing I would say, that's kind of a prerequisite in my opinion for becoming a therapist is the willingness to do your own work. Mm, um, cause if you are a therapist, if you're, if you want to become a therapist and you haven't been in therapy or you don't want to be in therapy, or you're afraid to look at your past or get under the hood of things, it's going to be extremely difficult to be with other people digging deep. Because if I'm working with a client, for example, who has a hard relationship with her mom and I haven't really dealt with my relationship with my mom it's going to be really, really difficult and painful. And I'm not going to be able to be neutral about it. Right. If my, I'm getting triggered by my own stuff. So doing that work is like the most important thing. I think. What you just said makes me, just made me think of, wow, that must be really, I'm, I'm wondering, how is that like to be neutral? <laughs> it's <Yeah>. like, how <laughs> do you, <laughs> this is this is why I, I could not be a therapist like <laughs> um, yeah. is, it, is it being neutral or is it that you've done enough of your work that you can separate your work from your yeah. what your client is bringing to you yes that's yeah. I think a better way of saying okay. that. thanks Lisa um and like in terms of like right like I'm clearly not a blank slate so I'm not neutral about certain things I mean I'm like very clear about like like Black Lives Matter, like anti-racism, like there are lines that you get to draw of like what is acceptable and what doesn't work for you. Right, yeah. Um, but, I guess it goes back to like your values. Yes, yes. But in terms of, yes, I've done enough work on myself. I know myself well enough to know which emotions are like mine and which is like being projected onto me. Right. And I can separate between what I want for the client and what they are telling me. Even if I think, for example, that they should, I don't know, reach out to their mom and repair the relationship if they're telling me they don't want to. And they have a right to not want to right now. You know, like Mm -hmm. I'm a big believer too. And like, you can sit and be uncomfortable and, and, you know, be between a rock and a hard place and it's uncomfortable, but you can sit. Like sometimes I use the metaphor of like, you can sit on a fence, but it's like uncomfortable. (laughs) (laughs) Good analogy. (laughs) Um, So I, people have a right to sit on the fence. It's not what I want for them. You know, it's not what I would do, but it's their life and they have choice. And that's where I can separate what I want for them as a, as a human being. Right. Right. And what, what I'm going to like encourage them or, you know, talk to them about as a therapist. Right. These are such fun questions. No one gets to like ask me these things. And I'm like saying words that like, you know how you just say things and you're like, oh yeah, that's, that's what it is. Interviewed quite a few times and this is high praise. So as a therapist who is a business owner, yes. a lot of other therapists, I, I have a lot of questions. So I think yeah. how do you measure success in a business that's about helping people. Mm. And what does that look like in terms of your, your goals? Um, so that's one question. That's such a good point. And I think it's a big fear point for a lot of, um, a lot of therapists. It's why a lot of therapists don't call themselves business owners. Don't mm. open up their own private practices. Cause there's a big stigma in the health community, the mental health community that you're profiting off of people's pain in right. quotes. 
And I am just a really big believer. Again, it goes back to my values. Um, so to me, I also really value though, right. I value high quality care, which can't be done necessarily in a huge institution. I value my therapists having like therapists in general make such little money and are typically in debt for their whole lives. Um, and are just really typically, they leave the field really often because of burnout. So a big measure of success for me and a big motivation for me creating a, a group practice and a business was I want to be able to provide therapists who are dedicating their lives to this with stable income, good jobs, flexible hours, doing things they love, health insurance, paid time off. So to be able to make that work, we have to be able to then run certain numbers to be able to do that. Right. Um, so that like, so it goes back to like that being a value of mine. We also dedicate at least all of our therapists do at least 10% of their spots are sliding scale, sometimes more. So I feel like we're giving back. I feel like we're giving back to the community in that sense, especially we're also in the process of hiring interns right now who will be supervised by therapists in my practice. And that will provide even more good quality, low income, uh, sliding scale therapy too. Um, so I just believe that there, I mean, yes, I'm not a typical business in that. I don't, you know, I'm not, I'm not specifically selling. I'm that's where I'm more about like creating an experience and wanting people like, you know, we don't like people reach out to us to book an appointment. We don't like continue to badger them to book an appointment because <laughs> that would be untherapeutic and not in alignment. With oh my gosh. I feel yeah. like so many people need to hear that. <laughs> That's like my number one reason I, I I'm, I'm bantering a little bit because yeah. my dentist did that. And I was like, I don't want to come back. Yeah. Um, cause I didn't want a particular service done. Yeah. And I was like, you're not listening to me. You need yeah. therapy. Yeah. Um, but no, I think that's an extremely, um, great point. Yeah. Yeah, it's almost like you let the service speak yeah, for itself. Exactly. Exactly. And that's why I'm more willing to spend money and spend time on branding and design and having coffee in our waiting room and doing, you know, we, we do a lot of free education with mm. social media and we have an yeah. email list that every week I do an email letter to anyone who wants to sign up and stuff. So to me, that's a part of like the service too. So, or like the fact that we're, you know, we have, we also have, you know, like a scheduling coordinator who gets back to people. Like a lot of times, a few hours after you reach out, like it's those types of things will call you back. They do have a price because it's a higher quality of service. Right. Um, but because we don't make everyone come every single week, a lot of clients say like, Hey, you know, I can't afford to come every week, but I'd like to come every other week or once a month, or I lost my job. Can I do some sliding scale and then go back up or whatever? And I would rather have someone have a shorter amount or a smaller dose of high quality therapy than, you know, go to a practice or go to a, you know, a, a big place that isn't giving them good therapy. With that, um, how do you, how do you get a lot of your clients? Like, is it because of what you're doing on social media? Um, is it referrals? Is it word of mouth? How did you start yeah. out and how did you, where you are now? 
Yeah. Having multiple therapists, you know? Yeah. So I started three and a half years ago and I worked in a drug and alcohol rehab for two and a half years. And I ran a unit there and I really like, I literally, I took out a loan. I just like did it and just was like, I mean, it's so funny thinking back. Cause I was like, feels like a long time ago. I, you know, I was like 26 when I did it. And I like really didn't have a perception of like how risky it kind of was to do it. <laughs> I was just like, of course I'm going to do this. Be fine. <laughs> so it's fine. I'll just go get a loan, you know? Um, so I was like fortunate. I feel like that I was like young and like not so my brain maybe wasn't totally developed to think about risk, but, um, I did that. And then, yeah, I mean, I love doing stuff like this where I love doing podcasts. I love social media, but I am an introvert, like in real life. That is so hard. Really? Yeah. I oh, have wow. so much anxiety. Like, I don't talk to people at coffee shops. I don't, I don't want to, I don't want to talk to people on the street. That's me. I, yeah, that's me. I like, I understand, like, this is very helpful. I mean, I know Lisa, so that makes this conversation even more comfortable, but um, I can do it if it's in a platform where I know I can leave. But I have like a fear of being like stuck in a coffee shop with someone <laughs> and trying to leave and then like continuing to pester me. So um, also like, so networking events, I hate. Mm. And I tried to start networking when I started my practice and I soon realized like this was not for me. So I was like, I would rather spend twice as much time building a good website, going on social media, doing anything else. <laughs> to avoid having to meet with people in person and do referrals and network. And I was like, I would rather market directly to my client anyway. Like, I don't want to have to have a doctor decide. Like I had a lot of imposter syndrome when I started too. And I felt very insecure that I, I looked really young. So I was like, I don't want a doctor to have to decide if I'm the right fit. I would rather meet my client where they are, which is on social media. So yes, I think social media was a big thing, especially with across state lines. That's a hundred percent from Instagram because people just started reaching out to me in the pandemic being like, can I see one of your therapists? I'm in Colorado. And I would be like, no, we can't. We can only see people in Pennsylvania. And then I was like, well, I guess I could hire someone in Colorado. And then I was like, well, let's try, let's see how it goes. And I was like, honest with hiring the therapist from Colorado. I was like, I don't know. We'll see how this goes. Yeah. Thankfully she has another job. So this is her side gig and it worked. So we just kind of kept, kept growing, um, kept growing from there. But yeah, like all my hiring is pretty much through social media. Like I don't use LinkedIn. I don't use indeed because the people that I want to hire are probably not on like looking for jobs on Indeed. on those platforms. Yes. I like that. Yeah. You know, it, you, you, you have a clear picture of who you want to serve yeah. and who you want to team up with. Yeah. Um, and you know who you are. Um, I feel like that's really important for business owners. Cause when you, when you hear of like networking events and Oh my gosh, it's so intimidating. Like oh, when I walk into a room, there's oh, nothing. I turn into a, like a little kid. Like me too. I go sit by myself in the corner. I can't talk to anybody. <laughs> right. Um, it's very intimidating. So, um, but just to know that there's there's hope, you know, for business owners who are introverts because there are other options. So 
Yeah. And that allows you to dedicate more time to Instagram instead of being like all over the place. Like I have to go to this networking event. I have to do this social media post. You're not, you know, you're able to kind of zone in on. Yeah. And some people, right. Like they may hate social media. Like I have a lot of therapists that reach out to me and are like, I hate social media. Like, how do I do a practice now without social media? And I'm a big believer you don't have to be on social media if that's not your thing. Maybe you do go to more networking events. Maybe you do like, there are practices that are like, I mean, like I know people who are really involved in colleges and universities and they do free events and they do flyers and stuff like that. Like that's not my practice. Um, but there are lots of different ways to do it. I think exactly like you said is it's based on what you, what would you rather spend your time doing if you have to pick? Yeah. I feel like that's important. I mean, to, for me to be reminded of and for other other people um, is that you don't have to do everything, you know? Yes, that um, is a huge trap. And I still like, yeah, I think it's a, it's a lesson that we always have to be learning because yeah, I mean like it's like infinite, right? Especially now with like, there's a million social media platforms now and there's oh always more things you can be doing. So asking yourself, if I'm gonna spend time doing this, what do I want to be doing? Right. Like I would rather be on Instagram than Facebook. So I'm going to prioritize Instagram. I would rather chat with people on podcasts than meet them in person. So I'm going to do that. You know? Yeah. 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 Isn't it amazing how we need to be reminded that to do what works for us? Like there isn't, there isn't one way to do life. There isn't one way to grow a business. There isn't one way to do anything. Yeah. We can idealize one particular way that doesn't even work for us. It's like, then don't do that. Yes. Yeah. And even when you pick Instagram, Instagram comes up with new things. Oh yeah. (laughs) (laughs) So the the one or two things that you do, you now have to like grow and learn. It's all the new things that they're doing. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Exactly. Um, So with your therapist, I guess, how do you make sure that you guys are aligned? Like, what does that kind of look like? Because people are different. People have different styles. We've talked about how do you make sure that the people you're hiring and working with are aligned with you? Yeah. I mean, I feel like we're in the process of creating systems now. Like we finally got, I'm someone who I will do the same thing like 20 times before I'm like, oh, I should create a system to do this. (laughs) Like we just like created Google Docs for like email templates. Because I just am someone who, when something needs to be done, I just do it Yeah. rather than slowing down to be like, okay, can I save more time in the long time to work harder, not smarter? I am sometimes I'll just like barrel through and work harder. Um, so I'm lucky that, um, I'm at a a place now. My husband actually lost his job in the pandemic, which was scary, but it ended up, he actually is helping me now, which is really great. He's helping me on like the back end of He's very like systems oriented and process oriented. So he's been helping a lot with that. So we're in the process of doing that, which is really cool. But I also just like, I mean, our values are like pretty clear on the website. I'm pretty honest with um, when I hire people, asking them what their values are, if they're Mm -hmm. aligned in this. Um, I also really believe though, too, in like hiring people that are specialists in that thing. So like they, we don't all have to be the same, right? But we fall under the same principles. So while I don't specialize in OCD, I have a therapist who does, but she also like under, like she has a similar belief in me, even if she does her work differently, 
of being modern, being accessible, being approachable, mm-hmm. being authentic, like almost like one of the big things I ask therapists when I hire them is like, how do you feel about self-disclosure? Mm. Um, because that's a big thing that's that if they're thing. not willing to talk about themselves in any capacity or even in an interview, like if they're not willing to talk about their own experience in therapy. I mean, I asked therapists when I hire them, have you been in therapy? What was your experience like? And mm. that's a big thing. Um, that I do too. And I just think beyond good hiring is, I mean, I think like, I just asked myself, like, what would I want as a, if I worked here, what, what would I be looking for? What would keep me here? What would make, what growth opportunities would I want? Where would I feel stuck? I'm really, really, I really care about creating a culture of feedback. So I take feedback I give feedback. I ask for feedback. We ask our clients for feedback. We do like feedback forms after they come in and we ask them, are you sure? Like if you're paired with the right therapist, like, is there anything we can do? So I think feedback, um, like innovation is one of the biggest values I I have. And that is like feedback that create that's needed for innovation as you need feedback to grow. We'll see how it goes long-term. Right now it's working. (laughs) One of the things you mentioned that I think we can often forget is, and not that it's all about us, but if something is meeting your needs, it's most likely meeting many people's, many other people's needs. Mm -hmm. Um, And I think often we can forget that. It's like, okay, someone like me will need and would appreciate feedback and would appreciate being able to, um, you know, give input or know that that input is being considered. So that's something I think we can forget even from a business perspective, that if you're meeting your genuine need, it's so likely you're meeting other people's needs as well. Yes. Yes, definitely. But yeah, I wanted to ask about how your yoga works with your practice. Do you use that at all with your practice? Um, yeah. I've been on a 28 day yoga streak. I'm so excited. This is the most I've done, longest I've done anything. And I'm like, awesome. but yeah, do you use that with your practice at all? Or how does your- Yeah. So I used to do it a lot more, um, to be totally honest. We, before the pandemic happened, we, we, the biggest thing we used to do with yoga is we used to do yoga and mental health retreats, which were awesome. Um, we had to cancel ours and go through that whole debacle because it was in April of 2020. Oh, gosh. Um, <laughs> so that canceled. Okay. Um, so that's the biggest thing that we do with them. I would love okay. to be able to get retreats started again. Yeah. But I also have a couple therapists who are yoga teachers and um, they do like groups and workshops. Like we do, one of my therapists is a yoga teacher and she does a movement and mindfulness group. Nice. Um, we've also, so we've, pivoted to zoom with all the workshops and stuff. So she, a couple of times a year will will do a mental health yoga class. So that's, I think the biggest way that we really integrate, integrate yoga and movement. We also have a a dance and art and sorry, a dance and movement therapist, which is cool. She uses yoga too. Very cool. What does your practice look like these days? And during these times we're in, I think what's interesting for me is my, I think of yoga beyond just the physical exercise of yoga. Yep. So uh, to me, yoga is like a mindset of like being intentional about what you're doing. Mm. Um, and you know, the actual practice of yoga was something I needed really, really badly when I was getting into recovery from my eating disorder. I was super disconnected from my body and it was a way that I created safety in my body. Mm -hmm. 
But these days I feel like with the pandemic, I like need cardio. Like I, I feel like I'm not walking enough. Like, I don't know. I'm just like craving. I'm a really big believer in like moving intuitively, listening to what your body wants and needs. Um, so I, my practice, so to speak, looks more like, you know, uh, an exercise bike doing some like, and doing a lot of stretching. I love to stretch. And I also, um, pretty much I'm in the habit of meditating at night. So to me, while it's, I'm not doing necessarily tons of yoga poses that to me is still yoga in the intention of it. I love that. I love that. that, Yeah. That's, I love your point too, about the intuitive moving, like movement, like just doing what your body needs. Cause there are times when I feel like I need more of yoga, like more of the, like I'm holding poses. It's more so and deliberate. And the other times I'm just like, there's stuff I need to get out. I just need to sweat, you know? Yes, exactly. Yeah. (laughs) Very cool. Um, So before we wrap, this has been so great. We want to keep, we will not. Um, So as someone who can be an anxious person, and I think even people who weren't anxious, a lot of us are anxious right now because we just don't know what tomorrow is going to look like. Yes. What are some of the, tips, input that you can give anxious souls out there to manage, process before they get to seeing a therapist, or even if they have a therapist, mm-hmm. what's something that you would recommend them trying to practice right now? Yes. So, I mean, I think with being at home, I think we're all on screens way, way, way more. And the biggest, one of the biggest things I did a couple of years ago that has made one of the biggest impacts on my own anxiety is I don't sleep with my phone in my room. Ooh. Oh, in your room. Okay. Wow. In my room. Um, I have an old school alarm clock <laughs> and I keep it downstairs at night and it's like, then I don't feel like I have to, then I don't wake up scrolling. I don't fall asleep scrolling. I'm not like feeling like I need to check messages if they come in. Even I feel like even if I put it on airplane mode, there's like an energetic pull. I feel like sometimes with my phone, I also, uh, am not a good sleeper. So like, that's even more important for me. So I recommend that, or even if, cause I know sometimes people are like, well, I live alone. Like that's like unsafe, you know, if so, or I have kids, they need to call like, you could charge it in the bathroom or something like that, like turn up the volume. So that's one thing. I also am just a believer in like getting into your body and movement in some capacity. It could be going for a walk. It could be stretching, but even getting into your body could also look like taking a shower. It could look like taking a bath. It could look like self-massage. It could look like uh, going for, you know, it can look like different things that create sensations in your body. You know, even like washing your face, it's creating a sensation because mm-hmm. that's one of the best ways we can ground and be in the present moment. So yeah, those are my two big things. And if you feel called to movement, you know, in terms of like getting your heart rate up is super, I mean, statistically, there's so much research on just even doing like 10 minutes of higher, even if you just do some jumping jacks, it doesn't need to look like running or this huge thing, um, doing that. And then I think the third thing, sorry, I could go on and on about all my tips. Um, keep it coming. coming. (laughs) I would say pick one small thing that you do every day, like Mm -hmm. make one small promise to yourself that you do every day, no matter what. And make it really small so that even if you remembered it at midnight before you were falling asleep, you could do it. So small are we talking like an example? Um, I think you could literally say, I'm going to meditate for like one minute. 
Okay. Yeah. And I think you could start with that. You may build for some people. It's like, um, you know, it's making their bed in the morning for some people. It's like going, getting outside of their house once a day, you know, yeah, especially yeah, now. Hard. Like I've gone weeks, not literally yeah. outside. So I'm like, what? The yeah. heck? I need to take that on. So, cause to me, that's one thing you can really do to build, like, you know, to strengthen your word with yourself and strengthen, mm-hmm. um, to just strengthen, you know, just feeling like you can rely on yourself makes a really big difference in your self-esteem and feeling like you trust yourself to then set goals. And normally the biggest thing that people don't understand is they set goals that are way too big to Mm. start. And then they get stuck in that self-sabotage cycle of they set this big goal, then they, they don't meet it. And then they beat themselves up about it. And then to feel better, they set the goal even bigger sometimes to try to dig out of the hole yep, and then you're even, and then you mess up again. So start super, super small and then build from there. That is extremely helpful for me because I feel like I'm, I'm great at envisioning the big picture, Yeah, but then it's breaking that big picture into achievable everyday actions. So yeah. Yeah, exactly. And it's, I'm, I feel that way too. And that's, but it's like, once you start recognizing too, the negative impact of not doing what you say you're going to do has on you, that's where it changed for me of, it's just like, I would rather not feel the high of the big goal setting (laughs) and actually be in the, the smaller ones so that I can not keep breaking my word to myself. Yeah. And then Passionate when you mess up, because we're going to mess up too. Right. That's the other piece of it. Right. Yeah. That's the compassion and accountability. And accountability. Yeah. I wrote that down. Yeah, I wrote that down because that was major. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I wrote that down too. I was like, compassion We need both. Yes. We, we said this was going to be extremely selfish. I feel like <laughs> dealing with my own therapy session here. Well, this is really therapeutic for me because I don't get to talk a lot and I like I do, but I don't, you know what I mean? Yeah. Like I don't get to yeah. answer questions freely. So it feels actually very nourishing for me oh, to okay. answer questions um, because I'm, I don't, you know, people don't ask me questions in sessions, obviously. Right. <laughs> right. <laughs> and you've been <laughs> extremely giving. Like you, you have really been. Have, yeah. <laughs> We're going to have people follow you on all the things, but before you go, you have to give us a sneak peek. What's your book going to be about? Yes. So my book is called Not Drinking Tonight. Okay. And it is going to be about like um, exploring your drinking patterns and exploring how maybe taking a break from drinking could enhance your life. But even more so, all the things that I talked about will be in the book. Okay. Like two thirds of the book is about, it's about like, uh, psychological, like evolutionary psychology, why you are the way you are, why you might drink or use other behaviors. So although it's geared and marketed towards anyone who's thinking about not drinking, I would say you can replace the drink with any habit. Mm. If my publisher would let me, it would have been like more broad, (laughs) but you have to like pick a niche, you know, when you're writing a book, I can't just write about everything. Right. (laughs) But yeah, it goes into reparenting. It goes into boundaries. It talks about emotions. It talks about self-care. Um, it talks about self-compassion and accountability and working through shame. So if you struggle in any capacity with, you know, a habit that you want to break, um, I would say you will benefit from reading my book. And when is it coming out again? 
January, 2021. So a little bit, it's, it's like going to be released with like dry January. Cause that's become like a thing. Wait, so you mean 2022? Yes. Yeah, sorry. Thank you. Okay. Well, we'll have to, we'll have to have you back on. Yeah, I would love that. I think we'll have to have you back on even probably before then, but yes, thank you so much. This has been. Absolutely. This was so fun. Are you, so are you guys, is your business open for people? Like if people, when people hear this, call yep. you're taking clients right now. Yes. I will tell you where we have, what we are taking clients in person in Pennsylvania and across the country. If you live in Pennsylvania, New Jersey, Colorado, Texas, California, Washington, DC, Maryland, Virginia, Massachusetts, and New York, you can see us. That's awesome. <laughs> That's a lot of places. Wow. The 10 yeah. states. We're working That's on awesome. getting all 50. <laughs> yep. And you totally will. That's this is great. Okay. Yep. And then you can follow us on Instagram, my handle is therapy for women, or uh, my businesses where you can see updates about what we're doing is therapy for women center. Okay. Amanda, this has been delightful. This has been informative. It's been just all of the things. Thank you so much for taking the time and for helping us out on so many different levels. I love that we got to touch on business and yeah. coaching and, you know, movement. So yeah, um, really fun I look forward to like your page is one of my happy places um, on Instagram. And the, literally there's so I have like 10 other questions about shame that I want to ask you now. So we're going to have to have you back. Except for, we can do a whole episode on shame. We could yeah, I think we should. Yeah. So that this one is not like a five hour podcast. <laughs> <laughs> but um, thank you so much for the time. We just we look forward to following you and reading your books and all that good stuff. Absolutely, absolutely. It was so it was so nice being here and good to see you, Lisa. Nice meeting you, Sabine. Nice meeting you too. I feel like I learned so much. So awesome. thanks again for your time. Absolutely, and, this yeah. was fun. I thoroughly enjoyed that conversation with Amanda and could have talked to her for the rest of the day, if not the rest of the week. She's cool peeps, full of knowledge. Very easy to talk to. Easy to talk to. So in so many ways, I feel like she's probably single-handedly redeemed therapists in your eyes, right? Agreed. Yep. I'm honestly thinking about um, going to her firm and booking an appointment. Like she was that impressive to me so much good stuff we've got to have her back on soon because there's just so much good stuff to talk about who would you take out for a drink this week i'm excited to share who i would take out so this week i would take out a woman by the name of angela logan out for coffee i recently watched a movie called apple mortgage cake based on a true story based on angela's story And it actually brought me to tears. Um, And I'll tell you why. So once I heard it was based on a true story, um, I had to do research and find out who this woman was. (laughs) Um, So the movie was a little bit different than, you know, what happened in real life, nonetheless. But anyway, as always, um, in 2009, Angela Logan, who was a model and actress, she fell in hard times. Her talent agency that she was working with closed and didn't pay her. Her contractor gypped her took her money and left her house unfinished. Wow. And she was buried in bills and her house was about to go into foreclosure in uh, 10 days, I believe. And so she pretty much needed a miracle. 
And so one day she was, she couldn't find a job and she needed, I think $4,000 in 10 days. And so really she was, she's a single mom divorcee, um, has three teenage boys at that time. And she was looking down and she was just having this conversation like, Ooh, the only thing I really know how to make is like apple, apple cake. Um, and it was actually a friend's recipe and she had her own twist on it. She made the cake with uh, wheat, whole wheat flour, added some spices and um, cream cheese frosting, which made it a little bit different than her friend's recipe. And she just had the thought of like, what if I sold these, which seemed like far out there, right? But it was really an act of desperation, which is why I found the story so inspiring. It kind of reminds me of the book that Damon John wrote, um, the, uh, the Power of Broke. And because sometimes we fall, not on hard times, but like we hit a wall mm -hmm. and we don't know whether to go left or right. And um, in this instance, she said, what if I sold a hundred cakes for $40, then she can make her $4,000 goal and secure a loan to save her house. Right. So she started, this is before social media in 2009. Um, and so she started baking, spread the word. She sold 42 on her own. And two weeks later, media got a hold of it. She was on the Today Show and CNN ended up selling 900 cakes for $36,000, which is more than what she needed to secure her down payment for the loan. Right. Um, That's awesome. And I just found that so inspiring because it reminded me that, man, with a little bit of faith and calling out for help, because she reached out to like friends, family, like just to kind of really spread the word. Um, because I mean, $40, especially at that time, 2009, for a cake seems... A little expensive you know um but just having the faith of like listen i don't know if this is going to work but this is like this is all i got you know i i just found her willingness not to give up and crumble and hide in a cave just very moving to me and it kind of brought me to tears so today she actually owns a bakery she's very um she loves the idea of just if you're going to do something you might as well do something that you love to do and now her cakes ship worldwide. So um, I would take her out for coffee because I, I'm just so inspired by her faith, her willingness not to give up. I actually purchased um, a necklace with a mustard seed on it and it, it's kind of framed out. I don't have it on now, but um, I, I wear that just as a reminder of like, you know what? I don't need this big, you know, um, this big life vision, you know, sometimes it's just having a little bit of faith. Of faith, yeah. You know? um, so that's who I would take out for coffee. And and I'm, I, she's in Teaneck, New Jersey. I'm like, she's not that far. So maybe I can just grab a slice of cake one of these days. You have this famous apple cake. <laughs> right? <laughs> that's cool. So yeah, so Angela, I would take you out for coffee. Nice. Um, what about you? And the cakes will be probably brought by Angela. I mean, hey. Yes. Um, <laughs> uh, so my coffee date for this week, or tea date, will be none other than Reggae Jean Page. He's the Zimbabwean-British triple threat performer, known for starring in the remake of Roots. Um, he was in, like, Ashondaland, legal drama for the people. And most recently, he was in Sylvie's Love, 
and Bridgerton, which has been all the rage on Netflix. I think huge streaming series in all of history. Um, but yeah, so he would definitely be my person. And he plays the lead role, the Duke of Hastings. So he is obviously talented and handsome. You cannot miss that. But I really became enthralled with him, actually, when I listened to a podcast interview he did in 2018. He is really into books. I saw that in another interview. He's like a bibliophile, like loves his like his perfect evening is like home with his books kind of thing. But it was so obvious that he was well-read, intelligent, like just someone who thinks deeply about what's going on in the world. And I love how he kept resisting being kind of put in a box in the interview. Like he just kept being nuanced no matter what the question was. Cause the interviewer would ask these kind of general questions that I felt like were kind of almost, they felt designed to like put one in a box. Like is the world generally getting better or worse? Where you're like, oh, okay. Oh, yeah, so, many levels to that. Um, so I think I would just talk to him about literally all the things. Cause he seems like that kind of person who has read, you know, who's interested in so many things. So, you know, hopefully we'll talk about art, culture. Again, he's Zimbabwean. British and now lives in LA. So with all my, you know, third culture kid things going on, would love to talk about culture, how it shapes his view of the world, how it's shaped him. Um, it just, I just picture an extended remix conversation talking about the things of the world, if you will. Um, so he has also mentioned in some interview that he is always drinking coffee. So I would definitely take him for coffee unless he would like bourbon or something else which I think you mentioned in yet another interview I sound like a full on stalker at this point but anyway <laughs> love to have an extended remix conversation with him I love that Amanda also mentioned La Colombe because I was like that's where I would, I would take Mary Gay so take that would be my guys just have extended remix combos about so many things and he just he seems very down to earth very easy to talk to so yeah like I just think it would be a really fun easy combo about like a lot of things so well I guess we're going for the TV influenced yes I know coffee, <laughs> coffee and tea times <laughs> coffee and tea times yes yes so, yeah. uh, coffee for the win um so this concludes our episode thank you so much for joining us be sure to share this podcast with all the people in your life you can find us on apple Podcasts. Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, all of the things. All of the things. Review. Don't forget to review. And be sure to follow us on Instagram and Facebook at Sabine and Lisa. And you can find us online as well. Thank you for joining us again. Bye.